Good morning. We uh, normally say it's a, a great idea to follow along on your, with your Bibles when we do the, the Bible reading, but to, this morning's reading is actually from four different places in the Bible, so it might be better just to have a look at the screen today, because I won't pause in between each one. So the first reading is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Thank you so much, Helen. Good morning, everyone. It's really nice to be with you this morning. My name is Yvette Cherry, and I have the um, real privilege of sharing from God's Word with you occasionally. We're in a series called Unexpected Stories, which is really fun for me because I feel like my life is a series of unexpected stories. I have a good friend who said to me recently, I've had the weirdest things happen to you. We're going to look at an unexpected story from the Gospels, from the Gospel of Luke. And I love preaching about Jesus, and I think he did some of the most unexpected things, right? But before we do that, I want to tell you an unexpected story of my own. So this happened quite a few years ago. My girls were much smaller. Sienna was only one, and then I think there were three, five, and seven. Um, I had a, the, the doorbell rang, so I went to the door and I had Sienna on my hip. And it was a man there, a man, a salesman at the door, and he had a really thick accent. It took me quite a while to figure out what he wanted, and I said to him real politely, um, I'm not interested in buying solar panels today. Thanks so much. And then as we were talking, you know, as it happens when you've got lots of kids, they all came to the door to see who, was, who mum was talking to. And he says, you've got a big family. Um, and he said, are you, are you married? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm married. And he said, do you intend to stay married? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm going to do my best. And he goes, oh, you know, because I go around all the time and I see so many people who have kids and they're not married or so many people who are divorced or so many people on their second marriages. Is there a reason that you intend to stay married? <laughs> I was like, well, I'm a Christian and I believe that God teaches us to do our best, you know, to honour that commitment and to stay married. I didn't go into all the caveats, but there are many. And he goes, oh, I'd like to hear more about this God of yours. And so I said, well, why don't you come in? And so we came in. It was about four o'clock. It was a Wednesday afternoon. And he sat on the couch in the front room. 
And he said, I have a lot of questions. And I was like, go. <laughs> you know, it's not every day you get that opportunity. And so he starts asking me questions, but his questions were so complicated. They included Greek words that I didn't know, bits of scripture that felt really obscure. And as soon as he'd ask one, and I'd, and I'd think, oh, what's the answer to that? And I'd start trying to answer, he'd ask another one. And I was just doing terribly. And he was there for two hours. It was like the most awkward two hours of my life. By the time Lee came in, he walks in and he's like hiding around the corner so the man couldn't see him. And he's like, what's going on? <laughs> and the window of, of opportunity for me to start dinner had passed. And you know, I was really trying to wrap up this conversation with the man. It's, it's like worse than the Kirby sales guy I had this time. And uh, I sent him off eventually, and you know, I just felt like a failure. I had not answered a single question of his. I had failed to give an answer for the hope that I have in Jesus. And back then, I, you know, I really didn't have a good strategy for effectively sharing my faith with others. I knew that I was called to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus and what he had done for them, but I felt like I wasn't really any good at it. I wasn't good at memorizing scripture, I'm still not actually, or keeping track of all the right answers for the big objections to faith. I have Brian's book next to my bed to, you know, get, get bone up on that. I don't think fast on my feet, and often I walk away thinking, oh, I should have said that. I just didn't feel like an evangelist. I knew, as we heard in those scriptures, that it's my responsibility to tell others about Jesus. But I just felt like I wasn't doing a very good job. Can anyone relate to that? Okay, I see a few hands and a few heads. Thank you. Maybe, maybe you can't. Maybe, like, this is actually my thing. Well, I hope this morning you just feel really confirmed in what God has gifted and called you to do. But for everyone else... We're going to look at a passage of scripture that I think gives us a few hints and a few tips of how we can approach being disciple makers in, in ways that really sit really comfortably with who we are. But before we do that, I just want to check, is my headset irritating you guys or are we okay? Like that? Okay, that might be better. And let's pray. Dear God... I thank you for your word, which teaches us how to live out the commandments to make disciples. I thank you that all our answers can be found in Christ. And I pray that as we study your word, you will encourage us and inspire us to become more like your son. Amen. So the passage of scripture that we're going to look at is found in Luke 19. And I'm going to read it to you now. And I'm not going to um, emphasize too much the unexpected things that happen, but I, I, I chose this passage because it, Jesus is so unexpected. And you'll see as we go through all the little unexpected twists that take place in this story, things that you go, what? Didn't think that would happen that way. So look out for them. All right, let's read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the names of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree 
to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people began, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's a beautiful story. So this is a sycamore fig tree. I think we have a picture of one. And they have branches that grow out horizontally from the main trunk, um, like almost parallel to the ground. So they're the very best kind of tree to climb. I like um, the inclusion of this detail. Zacchaeus was a really short guy, but it shows how keen he was to see Jesus that he would climb a tree. So he was short, hard for short people to climb trees, I imagine, hard to get, reach the branches, but a sycamore fig, doable. Often the branches go straight out parallel to the ground real low. So he gets in the tree and he climbs up so that he can see Jesus. Now Zacchaeus was wealthy and he was powerful. And wealthy and powerful people don't normally climb trees, do they? But Zacchaeus cared more about seeing Jesus than he did his dignity. So go Zacchaeus, I say. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and therefore he was despised by most of society. Let me explain why. The chief tax collector, uh, he worked for the Roman government who ruled over the Jewish people. Tax collectors weren't paid by the government for their work, so they had to collect an additional fee to cover their own salary. And that left plenty of room for bribery. Uh, because he was a chief tax collector, um, he also could uh, leverage his position over the other tax collectors and collect a fee from them as well. And that's um, th the fact that he's very wealthy proves that he's very corrupt because that's the only way he could have obtained that wealth. The people hated Zacchaeus for his greed, uh, but also for his collaboration with the Romans who were considered the enemy. And so I wonder what people thought when they saw him scramble up the tree. Given that they didn't like him, I think they probably took the opportunity to laugh at him, maybe to mock him, or look at short little Zacchaeus in the tree, or think what a fool, but not Jesus. Jesus looked at him and saw a man who desired to know God. So Zacchaeus is in the tree, when Jesus speaks to him saying, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So Jesus uh, goes off to Zacchaeus's home and the people are furious about it. And not just the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but it says all the people began to mutter that Jesus had gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus is clearly not bothered by what others think of Zacchaeus. We notice in the story that it says that Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' home. Pretty bold. He just says, I'm coming to your place for the day. But Jesus knew that Zacchaeus needed him. 
He also knew that the visit definitely wouldn't have taken place if it was up to Zacchaeus. And for good reason too. No self-respecting Jewish person would go into the home of a man like Zacchaeus. He was a social and a moral outcast. And Zacchaeus knew this, so he probably never would have thought to invite Jesus to his house. The crowd was complaining because in that context, Jesus' actions were totally unacceptable. By going into Zacchaeus' home, Jesus was breaking not only social custom, but also the religious and the moral law of his time. He became the guest and he ate in the home of a sinner, a man with an unclean profession. And it's a good thing that Jesus ignored the rules that the Pharisees had made up because then we see what happens. After Jesus has been a guest in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus declares that he will pay back all the people he had cheated. Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus has obviously radically changed him and Jesus confirms this by pronouncing that salvation has come to this house today. I love what Beth Moore has to say about this passage. She points out that the Greek word for guest literally means to loose or to unloose what was before bound or fastened, to refresh oneself or to lodge or to be a guest. So it properly refers to travellers loosening their own burdens or those of their animals when they stay on a journey. To be a guest is to put down all your bags and just to lighten your load for a little while. Or to unstrap the donkey, put all of the donkey's things down and let it drink water in the shade. And more notes that in effect, Zacchaeus' hospitality said to Jesus, come to my house and take a load off, lay your burdens down and be refreshed. I will refresh you. But what an awesome thought at the same time that Christ was saying to Zacchaeus, let me come into your house and take your load off. Lay down your burdens and be refreshed. I'd be honoured to have you. Beautiful. So the story of Zacchaeus provides us with plenty of insights into how we can share our faith with those who do not know, yet know Jesus. And also the attitude that we should do it with. And there's plenty we could say about this passage, but I want to pick just three observations that I, that I have made that have helped me in this journey of sharing my faith. The first observation is that we don't do the task of disciple-making alone, that God's Spirit guides and leads us. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he knew his name, and he saw him for who he really was. Here it's important to note that it's very unlikely that they'd ever met before. He didn't have another opportunity to learn who, his, who he was. His understanding of Zacchaeus, his name, and who he was came from God through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, but Jesus had a bit of an advantage there because he's the son of God and all. But we have that same advantage. When we walk closely with God, he can reveal his work to us. As Peter said, we want to see where God is at work and get on board. And that's what the Spirit's job is. And the better that we are in touch with God's Spirit, I think the more effective we are at his work. 
It was the leading of the Holy Spirit that allowed Jesus to know Zacchaeus' name, to see into his heart, to recognize his desire to know who Jesus was. And God has given us that same spirit to lead and guide us. The spirit helps us discern what we should do and where God is calling us to act. When we walk in tune with God's spirit, we have that same advantage that Jesus had. We might not necessarily know strangers' names. It would be pretty cool, and it's possible, I imagine, that the Spirit could tell us. But with God's help, we can discern who God is preparing to hear. And I think that we need to lean into that a little bit more, if I could be so bold to say at church. I think we need to ask and invite the Spirit to be at work when we seek to minister. Romans 8 reminds us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside us. Let me just get a little bit closer and say that again. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside us. That's an incredible, incredible thing to get your head around, isn't it? The spirit wants to help us in this task of making disciples. The spirit wants to prompt us that person, I'm already at work there. Go there and talk to them. Have courage, be bold. Let's tune in to the Spirit and what the Spirit is telling us. Secondly, we need to develop intimate friendships with those who don't yet know Jesus. And in order to do this, we might need to hang out with more people who are quite different to us. Jesus didn't care what others thought of who he spent time with. We see this all over and over again in the Gospels. He cared about people, all people, even controversial people and even people on the margins, especially, I would say, people on the margins. Jesus so shows us that we need to develop intimate friendships with those who don't yet know him so that we can earn the right to speak into their lives. I know that Jesus didn't know Zacchaeus for a very long time before he got the right to speak into his life, but he took a really bold first move with him, didn't he? And I think in that bold first move, he, he built up so much trust very quickly. He put himself in a position where Zacchaeus was open. Developing deep friendships requires risk, and it takes time but it also helps us to lead people to have their own encounters with Jesus. I love the way that Sarah Bagley put it once when she closed a message here by saying, uh, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus. I think we often make these kinds of introductions in the context of relationship, of friendship. The third thing that we can observe and imitate from this passage is that we need to watch out for busyness, that sharing Jesus with people needs to be a priority. You know me. I think you're getting to know me. You know that this is probably the thing that I've most got to get out of this. When I read the passage, one of the things that I notice is that Jesus was on his way somewhere and he was just passing through Jericho. It wasn't his intention to stop there. Jesus was going to Bethany where he would spend his last 10 days teaching and preaching before his death. In fact, I think he was going to, to see his friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and stay with them. He had 10 days, and he knew he was going to die. He had a job to do. He had a plan and an agenda, and he wasn't very far from his destination. 
What are you like when you have a plan and an agenda and you're not very far from your destination? And you're going down south for the weekend, don't want to stop. Not going to stop at the Crooked Carrot. No way, I'm going to keep going. I've got a plan and an agenda. Last year, I finished up a really busy phase of study. And I'd handed in my last assignment and I said to the girls, let's walk to school. And so we walked to school. And on the way home, I was just walking home really nice and slowly because I had nothing else to do. And across the road, my neighbour goes, Yvette, is that you? She goes, is it you, Yvette? And she came over the road, she got closer, she goes, it is you. What are you doing walking? She goes, you drive everywhere. And even my neighbour had noticed that I was always boom, 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 here, there, here, there, like get it done fast because, you know, if I drive them, then I can go into the shops and get what I need and then go to the Vos Library and then, you know, I always maximise the use of my time. And, and I said, oh, I just finished seminary for the year. And she said, what are you studying? And I said, I'm, I'm studying to be a pastor. And she said, oh, maybe I could come pray with you sometime if I needed it. And I said, Absolutely. You know, and that conversation wouldn't have happened if I had been in a regular event mode, just in a rush. But, you know, I'm often in a rush. If we were to put me in this scenario instead of Jesus, and I'm passing through on my way to Bethany, and I see Zacchaeus in the tree, God tells me his name, and he shows me that his heart is open. Do you think what I might have done? I fear I would have just called out, Hi, Zacchaeus, how are you doing? It's a nice day, isn't it? Beautiful tree. Anyway, I've got to run, have a good one. Or maybe I might have leaned on the tree for a little while and chatted to him there and felt justified that I'd spent, you know, a good little time off the, off the road of my journey. But there's a good chance that with my need for speed, my preoccupation with everything that's going on, it might have prevented me from going to Zacchaeus's home. And I would have missed an opportunity for God to use me to change Zacchaeus' life. I wonder if, if anyone can relate to that, if that's their main point. That being busy and the pace of things is what prevents them sometimes from the opportunities that are right in front. But Jesus invites us to a different pace, to a life that makes more room and makes priority even for ministering to people and for pointing them toward him. So I began by telling you about my uh, fail with the solar panel guy. I was so heavy-hearted after that encounter that the next day I sat on my bed and I just prayed, God, help me be better at this. I'm really not good at this. And then I said, amen. And as I said, amen, the doorbell rang and it was my neighbor, my new neighbor who I hadn't met yet. And his car wouldn't start and he needed to borrow jumper leads so we had to hang out. That was pretty cool. And so then I started actually thinking, well, this is my neighborhood. This is where I can make a difference, be in relationship with people. And so um, I'd had a heads up from a Christian friend that a neighbor of hers was moving an hour north of the river and she was going to become a neighbor of mine. And she was really excited because it meant that that person might have that little bit of support. So I had a heads up, which I think was the Spirit, Holy Spirit working. And so when she moved in, I took her some muffins across the road and I introduced myself. And then her kids and my kids started playing together pretty regularly. Um, and we'd have kind of casual chit-chat, nothing too deep. But one day, um, 
her kids were playing on the trampoline out the front of the house with mine and her, her little boy banged his head quite hard and he burst into tears. And I was watching them, um, and, but I was on the phone in a, on a really difficult conversation and um, I was crying too. And so I could see what was going on. I was like, oh, don't get her, mum. I'm crying, I'm crying, weird, awkward. She came across the road and I didn't have time to get my face back into order and she could see that I'd been crying and she said, are you okay? And I told her a little bit of why I was crying. She's like, oh. She said, sometimes I feel so anxious and I'd love to come across the street and talk to you, but my anxiety prevents me from doing that. And I'm like, we should talk. And she said, she said to me, I just feel so broken. And my heart just really went out to her. But at the same time, my husband pulled up on his motorbike in the driveway and it just kind of ruined the moment. And so we didn't get to talk. And she took her little boy home because he was crying. The next day I went to church. So the doorbell had rang and I'd prayed for the man. The lady comes across the road. The next day I go to church and the sermon was about going into people's homes and loving them right where they are. And the song that was played in the, uh, you know, item at the end of, end of it went something like, it went like this, I'll follow you into the homes of the broken, I'll follow you into the world. And I thought back to the day before when my neighbour had said, I just feel so broken. And I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, I can see that you're at work here. So the next day I invited myself into her house. We had a cup of tea and we sat and we talked and she was going through some of the worst stuff just the worst stuff. And so Lee and I committed to walking with her through it. And we, we spent a really long time with her family. Our Mother's Day would come around and I'd take her kids to the shop to buy gifts so that she, they would, she would have something on Mother's Day. I took her to the movies once and she said, that is, I haven't done anything like relaxing like that in years. I'd stay up with her late at night because she was just too afraid to go to sleep. We did fun things, we went on picnics and stuff, and eventually she started coming to, to church, to social things, and then, and then she started coming to church. And the first time she came to church, the pastor was preaching on forgiveness, and she sat and she cried and cried, and she said, this is such good news. It was incredible. And then, and then after that, Sunday nights, with a glass of wine, we started reading the Bible together. Now, I'd love to tell you that she became a Christian, but she didn't. She moved out of the area, and although I tried to keep in touch, it just didn't work. It didn't work out. And um, I don't really know where she's at now. But just a couple of years ago, a friend who'd gone to that church also said, um, I met, I met a, a lady, and I think she must have known you because she came to pick up her kids, and we were talking, and we, we realised we went to the same church. And she said to me... Um, oh, yeah, you know, I loved that church. We used to go and we loved it, you know. And um, she, she racked her brains and she couldn't remember my name. She couldn't remember the person who had taken her and spent time with her. But it doesn't matter at all, does it? I played the part that God invited me to play. I listened to the Holy Spirit. I helped move her closer to an understanding of Jesus and who Jesus is in her life. And I think that that is the role that God invited me to play. Before I close, I want to spend a few moments talking to those of you who feel like you might actually be the guy in the tree. Maybe there are some among us here today 
who've never actually even considered telling other people about Jesus because you're not sure if you know Jesus yourself. Maybe you're thinking, how could I say, let me introduce you to my friend Jesus when Jesus is not really your friend? Maybe you're here because you're curious about Jesus, like you've got the same motivation that Zacchaeus had when he climbed the tree. Like Zacchaeus, you just want to get a glimpse of him as he goes by so you can see what all the fuss is about. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you'd quietly love to be a follower of Jesus, but you're not really sure if he'd accept you. You're not really sure if the things that you've done maybe discount you from a relationship and the way you live your life, the way that you are and when no one's looking. Well, I want to tell you that you were loved by Jesus and you were seen by Jesus. And just like Zacchaeus, Jesus knows your name. He knows your pain and your insecurity. And I think if he was physically present with us, the home he would want to go for lunch after church is yours. In fact, I just know that. I know it to be true. He wants you. He wants to offer you the opportunity to lay down your heavy burdens. He invites you. Just lay it all down. Become free. Be light. Let me refresh you. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks. And he loves you. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you will help us to show others your love. May you help us to be tuned into the quiet voice of the Spirit that says, see that person. Slow down. Speak to that person. Be there with that hurting person. I pray, God, that you will fill us with the kind of love that you have for each person. Help us to find our style that fits with our personalities. Ways that we can authentically connect others with you. Ways that that we are best at saying, hey, come and meet my friend Jesus. And God, for those among us who don't know you, who feel like they're sitting in a tree, who feel like they're just curious to get a glimpse of you, God, I pray that they've seen a greater glimpse of you today through your son. Your son, Jesus, who would just stop on his way somewhere busy and say, I'm coming to your place for lunch. The most despised person in the whole town. I pray that those of us who feel like we're on the outside, who feel rejected, who feel maybe excluded, that they will know that you love them so deeply and you invite them into something better relationship with you. Amen.